The Dickheads are presented in color. So, uh, Nick, thanks for uh, being here at the PKD Festival and agreeing to do an interview for the Dickheads podcast. Um, why don't you give me a little bit of an overview of how you came to find Dick's work and kind of how it resonates with you? Sure, thanks, and, and I'm very happy to be here. Um, yeah, um, when I first uh, was reading SF, it was uh, I was about the age of 15, 16, around there, and my uncle had a he worked in a bookshop where he could get 20% off a lot of the books, so I used to go in there and, and uh, look at the covers with all the great colours and Chris Foss covers, and the first thing that drew me, I was Asimov, uh, big, chunky letters, all lowercase, big fat letters, and uh, it was the Foundation Trilogy I read first, uh, and I did enjoy it, but it was fairly straightforward and mundane uh, in one sense, because um, the next book I read was uh, Time Out to Join, the Phil Dick novel, um, and I was absolutely mesmerized by the scene in the book where a soft drink stand is replaced, uh, disappears and dissolves, and all that's left on the grass is a sheet of paper saying soft drink stand. And that related a lot for me with uh, when I was studying art, looking at René Magritte, and um, he did a famous painting of a pipe, um, and written underneath was, this is not a pipe. <laughs> you know, he, he was he was Belgian and, and spoke French, and ceci ne pas une pipe, uh, which was actually making the same point about representations and reality. Uh, and that really fascinated me. Um, in a way, um, Asimov was giving me a space opera, uh, which was based on the rise and fall of the Roman Empire, uh, whereas Dick was saying, are you sure that's real? Mm -hmm. uh, and I love that inquiry. So uh, I pursued that, and, and I've been rewarded by uh, Dick's two main questions, what is real? Um, and some might say what is really real and what is human what constitutes the human being you know mm -hmm. and so what brought you here to the PKD festival yeah well I, I wanted to come for many many years but couldn't get the pennies together and mm -hmm. finally uh, I'm able to be here this session um, I, I'd heard about them often and I, I've been in touch with the guys who uh, organize it um, and obviously through this fan magazine, PKD Otaku, which is run for free, all everyone gives their time for free on that to put it out as a service to the fans and as a hymn to Philip K. Dick himself. Mm -hmm. um, and the last um, the last festival I went to was actually in England around about 1991 in Epping Forest that had Paul Williams, um, Greg Rickman, um, Brian Aldis. Um, Larry Sutton, the biographer of Phil Dick. Uh, so I've been itching to get back to a festival for a long time, and I'm glad to be here. Yeah, and I caught your presentation uh, this morning regarding the craft of Dick's writing. Yes. What kind of went into how you prepared for that, and how did you choose the story that you used as the example? Yeah, uh, the thing that I was really interested, the motivation for, for getting involved in, in presenting the craft of writing uh, in relation to Phil Dick was that I kept hearing a lot of people almost apologetically saying yes I do read Phil Dick but his ideas are great as if it was a guilty secret mm -hmm. um, to say that you, you liked Phil Dick uh, and there was a kind of notion beginning uh, which was a myth that, that he has no literary merit whatsoever uh, and there's no real art in what he's doing and he's not displaying any craft 
and I wanted to refute that you know I think there's so many there's so many myths that build up around uh, celebrities in particular but main figures and names I mean classics would be um, with the Beatles that say you know John was the hard rock and roller Paul was the balladeer but you don't have to listen to the catalogue to hear John doing a whole pile of things like Imagine or um, Beautiful Boy or Girl or they, I like to break those myths because soon uh, they harden and set into what all people remember another classic one with Phil is the notion that uh, he, he took LSD to get new ideas and that he couldn't have had ideas like um, the Three Stigmaster of Palmer Eldritch without LSD and ironically he didn't take LSD until after he wrote that novel you know mm -hmm. so I wanted to dispel the myth and also to try to show people very clearly uh, the craft that's there because of course when we read a book we're not stopping at the text and looking at how it's done we're caught up in the story and so the craft becomes invisible to some degree so that was what I was trying to express and, and when you bring that up I think of two examples primarily in Dick's work that seamlessly mm. do that one is Eye in the Sky mm. if you look at the transitions between each individual character's yeah. different world they're yeah. all very seamless yes. and in Three Stigmata mm. one of the biggest reasons I love that book is because right around 100 to 200 pages into it mm. you start to realize that Dick's writing style has now fooled you into not knowing what's mm. real and what isn't yeah right sure. so as an outside reader absolutely you can kind of figure out oh that's real that's not real but I didn't even realize no until I closed no. the book that I wasn't yeah. sure what was and what wasn't I think that's a true kind of but, staying power of his writing that's it precisely and I think you allude to the magic of it really that you're it, it's almost like hypnotic trance work mm -hmm. it happens without you realizing um, in a beautiful way Dick uses sleight of mouth and uh, captivates us in the way that a writer should you know their words are meant to uh, manipulate a feeling to create an idea when we communicate we influence of course the key thing is our intent if we if if our manipulation or influence is to harm or to hurt I'm not interested but in the hands of a writer like Dick um, the words are on the page to make us go on a journey and, and you're right I think you say it well Anthony it's that magic where you, you've been had and you don't mm -hmm. even realize you've been had yeah until the book is finished yeah at the same time he has mm. a, a matter-of-fact style that mm. I really enjoy because yeah. it stuff he doesn't treat his readers as if they're dumb he assumes yeah. that you can believe what's happening or yeah. when, and when things do happen it's really jarring sure for example and this is spoilers for anybody who hasn't read the game players of Titan mm. the scene where the elevator doors open mm. and uh, the detective gets shot yeah right in the elevator it's just boom 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 it happens there's yeah. no build-up to it no. and there doesn't need to be no and in the penultimate truth when dick you may have been you may have experienced this too when dick isn't a horror writer but mm. he has written fairly horrific scenes absolutely in the penultimate truth when he describes uh, one of the producers of the films that they're making as yep. being this horrific gelatinous beast yeah that's kept alive through all these artificial tubings mm. it's it's beautifully grotesque it is it is and he's a master at that and I think um, even even things like um, in do androids dream of electric sheep there's a chilling nature about the the actual androids in that uh, and I think oddly enough uh, it sounds uh, a, a bit too highfalutin for me to say so 
because um, he's such a big director. But I think Ridley Scott missed the point entirely on these chilling beings who have no empathy, and he turned them into these beings who have a tremendous love for one another uh, and uh, are capable of incredible athleticism and uh, and are almost to be admired. But in, in the chilling thing that sprung to my mind when you referenced that was the uh, the androids pulling the legs off a spider in front of Jack Isidore, you know, the J.F. Sebastian character. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and Jack Isidore pleading with them to stop uh, and them not understanding at all what empathy is that you could feel for another creature. I, I, I think it's small, it's, it's minutiae in one sense, it's only a tiny spider, but we get it, like we get the story of him trying to deal with killing a rat um, you know, and it's poisoned, its neck's broken, and then mm -hmm. he's pronging it with the tines of a pitchfork and then having to drown it, uh, but feeling awful about it all, really, and, and relating to the creature. Um, yeah, there is there is a horror. I mean, I think the Three Stigmata of Palmer Eldritch is incredibly nightmarish, the idea of being trapped in someone else's world uh, by means of a drug and not being able to escape. Mm -hmm. um, that I can't think of anything more chilling. Do you think that Dick's literary merits are often overlooked and his craft is often overlooked primarily because he's a genre writer? Or his popularity was yeah. for his genre books and less for his literary works? I think that's certainly the case. Without any shadow of a doubt, I think there's a whole lot of snobbery about all kinds of literature and, and SF, so-called, you know, uh, has been reduced to those two letters in a sneering way. Um, and I always believe that if your inquiry is intelligent, that you find meaning in all kinds of places. Um, I I love the designs of the original Thunderbird spaceships. I think they're beautiful designs, and I'm not going to wait until someone gives me sanction to like them. Uh, and equally, I see great literary merit in, in Phil Dick's work. Um, and I read them, because to me this is what it's about anyway. I think all of the arts deal with emotion really in terms of how they make us feel inside um, and I relate that to our understanding of the world and that we can grasp it through our feelings not just our intellect so I read it for the experience of Philip K. Dick in fact I think the meaning of life is the experience of life and that's the answer as the actual experience the, the, the connection with the world around you and other people is, is what it's about and Phil certainly conveys that in his writing. Just something else I'd like to pick up on, if I may, Anthony, Absolutely. is that um, you mentioned how he has this easy style, and I really agree with you about that, that kind of chatty style uh, of a friend, you know, uh, delivering this story. I think that's one of his huge strengths, is he doesn't, although he's an incredible intellect uh, and, and was so widely read uh, in a phenomenal sense and researched widely, uh, he never he never used that as a badge of honor um, and he would just simply uh, convey the story in a way that the reader would get it right away he wasn't busy trying to promote how much he knew um, and I think Orwell, George Orwell always said you know don't use a long word where a shorter one will do um, and it's not about dumbing down it's about not trying to over intellectualize something and draw attention to itself you know if you use a really obscure word in the middle of a scene it can shatter the spell mm -hmm. uh, and it may make the author feel good and big but they've just destroyed a piece of work that they were making you know 
what, in your opinion, is probably your favorite dick work? It's probably the Three Stigmata of Palmer Eldritch um, that we referenced earlier. Um, I think that was Dick at full stretch, and I think he was willing to go places that were actually brave of him to go. Mm -hmm. um, I think it, I think it's a, a novel of great courage, and and I love the way um, he was. Uh, you know, I, I reference Shakespeare often, as you know, and um, when King Lear came out, there used to be a happy ending where Cordelia lives and everything's lovely, um, and that was the the story that was known before Shakespeare adopted it. And, and adapted it, and uh, and in Shakespeare's one, as you know, she she dies, uh, and the beauty of those kind of endings, and with Three Stigmata, where it walks that valley of the shadow of death, mm -hmm. is that it gives us more questions later, and 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 we examine it, and like I say, it kind of expands in the mind afterwards, like a life raft inflating, and we suddenly have all of these things to deal with, where a happy saccharine ending. Uh, would have tidied everything up uh, and told us we could sleep safely, drink beer, and watch gladiators, you know? <laughs> and uh, Phil Dick unsettles us. And sometimes I think it's good to be unsettled. Sometimes when we feel that cognitive dissonance, it's because we're extending our map of know-how and actually uh, gaining more uh, understanding of, of what it is to be human. Mm -hmm. which, which is a prevalent theme in, I would say, almost all of his... Yeah. Books. Were there any other short stories you were considering using as examples? I know you had a whole list of them, but was there any mm. second place? I think there, there could have been. Uh, there, there wasn't, in fact. It's just that uh, as it happened, I just revisited Explorers We. At the time, mm -hmm. I was writing about Dick, um, and I wanted to introduce the connections with Magritte because I felt them strongly. Uh, and when I reread Explorers We, of course. It referenced the flamethrower, which he saw as a child, and, and a Japanese soldier burning and running and burning and running, and, and people in the theatre cheering and laughing and thinking it was great, and Phil realising something was desperately wrong. And because that incident and the rat one I mentioned earlier both tied in to him expressing those feelings in a short story, it felt like a useful currency. So I went with that. But in actual fact, Anthony, I think you could throw a short story at me out of the hat and, and it wouldn't be difficult to um, highlight the art and the craft of what he's doing. Um, I think all of the basic things he does really well, like show, don't tell. He'll show you somebody trembling rather than say somebody is nervous. Um, and he's really good at that stuff. And I think one of the things I didn't really pick up or, or tease out this morning is that... Um, he, 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 he's, he's able to invite the reader to collaborate so he'll show you somebody's distress rather than tell you Jack is distressed because when a reader when a writer tells you Jack is distressed it's insulting uh, but if they show um, the evidence of Jack's distress it draws us in and, and I think the, the thing is Phil really knew his craft and he wrote so many short stories and so many novels when you look at them as a whole um, canon of work that it, it would be it would be very unusual if we hadn't learned anything at the end of all that you know I have one final question um, what do you hope that people take away from Dick's work when they read it I hope the biggest thing they take away is that people all people are important and that how we treat one another 
is pivotal to what kind of a world we're going to live in um, and the primal force of empathy is just central to what we need in the world um, I'm talking about people not being afraid to be tender people not being afraid to cry when something moves them um, and I don't mean this in a mushy sense I mean people having the strength to be that be that way people having the strength to not be able to just step over someone in the street and to actually feel something about what's going on so I, I, the biggest thing for me with Phil Dick is, is empathy and understanding see even in Three Stigmata you've got this thing about how our worlds affect one another they all live in Palmer Eldridge's world and there's a sense in which we don't end where our skin ends that we affect one another in all kinds of hidden ways that we know nothing about um, so that's the biggest thing for me personally I think that was beautifully said great thank you so much Nick, for welcome. being a part of the tickets not podcast at all and doing I'm, this with us. we really appreciate I'm honored, it I'm honored to do it genuinely thank you thank you